I'm Andrew Prentice. I'm Professor of International Nutrition, but I also run a big research group in the Gambia in West Africa. So we've been working in the Gambia for many, many years. It's an amazing site in the middle of the bush, which the MRC has been supporting research there for uh, almost 70 years, so quite unique. And we've got a fantastic partnership between the local community and we, the medical researchers, which has allowed us to come up with some, some very exciting new findings. Of course, what we're trying to do the whole time is to improve the health of mothers and babies. So it's all about maternal and child health and really trying to discover what would be the best way of enhancing pregnancy, the survival of babies and, and their growth and, and health. You're about to give a talk tonight called are you what your mother ate? I'm really intrigued. Tell me more. Yes, so that's a, a, a catchy title, but on a very important issue. Um, it's all about epigenetics. Now, most people would understand what genetics is about. Fewer people know about epigenetics, although it is now becoming um, much better known. So the epi in epigenetics means on or above genetics. And the story is that the way that our genes express themselves can be altered by marks that are laid down on the genes. These are very complicated and there are various different kinds of these. But the intriguing thing for us is that some of these marks, called methylation patterns, require a series of nutrients to lay, be laid down properly. So what we're looking into is whether the mother's diet at the time of conception affects the epigenome and hence the health of her, her offspring, of her baby. So how might it affect the health of her baby? Well, the theory is, is that if there weren't enough of the nutrients that are required to lay down these methyl marks, so that would be, for instance, folic acid, choline, betaine, riboflavin, vitamin B6 and B12, then the system would go wrong. And indeed, we've got some excellent evidence that that has occurred. What we've managed to do is to take advantage of a, a lovely experiment of nature. So the Gambia has two seasons, a dry season and a rainy season. And the foods that people eat are very different at these times of year. So this gives us a wonderful example to see how that natural change has affected the epigenome of babies born at different times of year. And it's come up with some really remarkable results. The day that a baby is born in determines their, the, these labels on their, their genes. Um, give or take, of course, I'm talking in generalities here. But babies born in the dry season have a very recognizably different epigenome to those that are born in the wet season. And they carry with that, that with them for the rest of their lives. And what we're now showing is that this is very likely to have effects on their immune function and possibly even on their susceptibility to cancers. And do you think that the kind of effects you're seeing could apply to children born outside the Gambia? Or, or are there too many other complicating factors there? No, very definitely. We just use this nice experiment of nature as a way of interrogating the biology. Now that we've found it happening there, we're, we're, you know, it, it's virtually certain that these things will be going on elsewhere. And uh, indeed, I would speculate that you and I, as we sit here, our genomes were affected by what our mums ate at the time of conception. And even more interestingly, of what our father's mother ate at the time that our father was in the womb. 
So there are complicated things going on, but we can certainly have strong evidence for an intergenerational effect. So I am affected by what my paternal grandmother ate uh, when she conceived my father. Are you making this up? No, 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 no. This is genuine stuff. Um, and we, we, we understand a lot of those pathways. I, I have to say that last bit I've just mentioned is a little bit controversial, but I think we've, got, we've actually got some strong evidence that this is true. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. So run me through how that would work, the epigenetic traits being passed from one generation to the next. So a man's sperm, the, every day he produces sperm, it comes from germ cells that are within his testes. And those are laid down in his fetal life. And so every new sperm that's created comes from a, a sperm cell that was laid down during his feet, when he was a fetus. And that is affected by his mother's diet. It's, yes, it all makes sense. It's just absolutely astounding. What do you think the end result of what you're looking into will be? Recommendations for diet for grandmothers? Or? Well, uh, l let's move away from the grandmother issue because although that's fascinating, I, I would emphasize that that's a little bit controversial. What's much less controversial is mothers. So let's just concentrate on mothers. Now, I think everybody knows about folic acid and uh, avoidance of neural tube defects. So mums-to-be are recommended to take folic acid before they conceive and that reduces the risk of having a baby with a neural tube defect. Our belief is that this story is about more than folic acid and more than neural tube defects. We think if we can get the diet of a mum right before she conceives then she has a very good chance of having a healthier baby not in the not only in the pregnancy and at birth but for the rest of that baby's life are the effects of um, epigenetic abnormalities permanent or is there any way you can reverse them once you understand what's going on wow now that question gets into some very complicated stuff so um, some of the changes seem to be irreversible and those are the ones that we're studying at the moment because that's an easier place to start of course Many of these labels are very changeable. They're changing minute by minute, hour by hour. They're what affects our immune system, how our T cells become a cell that will recognize a certain pathogen and so forth. So there are many things that do change and some that don't. Now there's a lot of interest in Big Pharma at the moment in trying to find drugs that would change these levels of methylation. So in the field of cancer biology, there's a great deal of interest in trying to reverse these changes. At the moment, we've only got a, a sledgehammer to crack a nut with, so we, can, we could get people to reduce the level of methylation, say, but it would reduce it across the genome, so potentially have a lot of so-called off-target effects. We wouldn't necessarily be affecting just the bit we wanted to, and we'd be causing a lot of other potential damage. But these are just the foothills of the research. We'll, we'll get there in the end, and I'm sure be able to do some very exciting things. Where would you like to go next? Well, our hope is that if we can get this next bit of research right, we will be able to... I mean, the, the big hit would be if we are right that we can manipulate the mum's diet at the time of conception with very broad-spectrum beneficial effects. That's huge. Um, we could really sort out a lot of... Uh, diseases and, and errors and malformations if we're right with this theory. And that's the beauty of epigenetics. The genes we inherit are unchangeable, but the epigene is changeable. And that's why it's so exciting for a nutritionist like myself to be involved in this field.